And welcome back, everyone, to the Brandon Burns Show, proudly presented by Enterprise Monkey. It's great to have your company, and thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have a very special guest on the show today, so we look forward to sharing that with you. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube, or rate and review on iTunes Store, and also Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud. But for now, let's get into the episode and see you on the other side. Welcome back, everyone, to the Brandon Burns Show, and it gives me great pleasure to announce a very special guest today on the program. I've got next to me the director of the Melbourne Accelerator Program, Campbell Walsh. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. Great to be here. Oh, absolutely. It's good to have you here, too, and um, great to have you on the program. For those of you tuning back in on YouTube, thanks so much for subscribing, and those of you listening out, don't forget to rate and review us on Spotify, iTunes, and the like. But uh, today, what I thought I'd, we'd do is I'd just take this opportunity to bring to you a guest that's really relevant in the startup and entrepreneurial space, both from the point of view of being an entrepreneur and having a startup themselves, but now also working with and guiding um, entrepreneurs and startups all across Australia. Mm-hmm. So um, I really think you guys are going to get a lot out of this from the head, but um, I thought maybe what we'd do is to start off, we'd uh, throw to Campbell and just get him to give us an intro on his story and who he is and uh, what he's up to right now. Over yeah, to you, definitely. Campbell. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, as Brandon mentioned, director of the Melbourne Accelerator Program, which is really exciting. We bring uh, 10 teams into our program every year, okay. connected to the University of Melbourne, um, give them 20K worth of uh, funding, awesome. give them co-working space. But the most valuable thing we give them is mentoring, coaching, and access to the network that we have, Unreal. which is a massive global network. Obviously, the University of Melbourne, top university in Australia, connected yep. globally. And it's a great platform for startups to be able to to grow and accelerate from mm-hmm. from where they're at. Yeah. And it's a really exciting opportunity for me. We've 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 sort of been doing this for six years. I brought okay. my startup through the through the Melbourne Accelerator. So, program. so you're an alumni. Yep, alumni. Am I saying that right? Alumni, yep, exactly. Yeah. Alumni of the program. So were you the first year? No, no. I was. We were sort of three or four years in. 2016. Yeah, right. Well, so um, that's with, not that long ago. No, yeah, it's like three cohorts ago. Wow, so yeah. you've taken the startup through and now you've come back and you're directing the, the ship. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, unreal. Yeah, so I suppose I experienced it firsthand, right? So I saw the value in it. I saw the potential for it as well. So mm-hmm. I think there's – MAP hasn't quite – well, nowhere near reached its potential of what it can do and the value that it can bring to startups. So a major reason why I took on this role or probably the most significant reason why I took on this role is because I saw such a massive opportunity for us to grow, to improve, and to help st- startups to become better, yep. um, and to, to create this you know amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem and build from we, what we already have at the university, and just to take it to the to the next level. Yeah, that's unreal. Yeah. Okay, well, I know this would be really interesting for our audience, which mm-hmm. is obviously predominantly young startups and entrepreneurs that are probably embarking upon their startup journey for the very first time, mm-hmm. and. One of the top things that we get asked at Enterprise Monkey when people are looking to build an app with their startup, um, they really want to know about someone similar to them in their shoes and their experience. Mm-hmm. And obviously, um, you're a really good story that illustrates what can be achieved with a startup. And I'd love to get an idea just for our audience to understand what that business was, mm-hmm. You know how long realistically it took for you to get some traction, mm-hmm. and what the picture looks like now. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question because... Uh, it really didn't start from my last startup. Yeah. Although I, I, I'll tell you about it, which is CNS Dose. Mm-hmm. Um, we use DNA to predict which antidepressants work for people with depression. Unreal. Um, and that was 
uh, a very unique, well, it's, I don't want to call it a unique story. It was a story in and of itself, but the story doesn't actually start there. It was, so I've been doing startups for 10 years. And, okay. And I say varying degrees of failure because yeah. um, before CNS Dose, I wouldn't have considered any of them a success. And I'm still loath to say CNS Dose is a success at the moment. There's lots of successful things that we've done, but, mm-hmm. but and you know, you know what do you what 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 do you classify as success in yeah, the startup totally. environment? Well, is it is it is it is it raising money? Is it is it exiting? Is it being acquired? <laughs> yeah. Um, and no, so that's true. Well, that's, a, that's a whole discussion in and of itself. Um, but really, um, my journey into the start you know began from a very young age and trying to start things. You know, my first things trying to start at twenty one, mm-hmm. um, and failing miserably at that, and then trying something else at twenty three and failing miserably at that, mm-hmm. and and then wanting to learn, so I jumped into other people's startups and learning, learned mm-hmm. how to how to work in their startups. Yep, totally. And then, and then went from from one to another, and and there was one, um, really the one where I probably learnt the most and gave me the the biggest foundation was PlayUp, which was a social media platform for sport, mm-hmm. raised one hundred and twenty million dollars. You know, you could call that a success, but it all, at the same time, was also a, you know. A, a, a big failure in the fact that it didn't go anywhere in the end and yeah, all yep. the money was lost. And um, But for me, it was a significant learning experience about, you know, how do you raise money? How do you deal with investors? Yep. Um, what, what, how do you, how do you develop product? Um, and also what not to do, right? Because mm-hmm. it, yep. it was a, a failure. But what it did is that experience, like it just opened my mind up to what was possible mm-hmm. in the startup experience, in the startup environment around raising money, um, around taking products to market. And so, that then gave me a great launching pad for CNS Dose. And when I heard CNS Dose, I met I met um, Professor Associate Professor Ajit Singh, who's my co-founder and friend, and um, Dr. Harris Eyre. I met them at Pivot Summit, which is an innovation conference in Geelong. Yep. And um, when I when Ajit told me about the research which he had just completed, I knew straight away that um, we could raise money. I knew the pathway to raise money, um, and I knew that we could get could get customers for this okay so it's not the startup it's the journey that you've been on through maybe multiple startups and businesses and and even even employment and jobs that lead you to a point where in your case you arrived at the situation where you saw an amazing opportunity Mm -hmm. and because of what you learned with your other startups and experiences Mm -hmm. you could you you knew how to execute that startup Mm -hmm. a lot more effectively for sure so in a sense did you feel like you were able to speed up what needed to be done to start building traction for that business. Yeah, definitely. And I learned over a period of 10 years through failing and doing things really poorly, Yep. Um, as well as seeing other people do things well, what what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I love programs like this, the Accelerate program. So you don't actually have to spend 10 years learning what to do and what not to do. You can, yep. you can learn it um, through other people and through mentors and through coaches. Yep. Um, yeah, it's the same thing we do at, say, Pitch Black, which I'm a partner in as well. Yep. That's the same principles that we utilize in there. That's why I love that business because... So the you, collaboration the, model, yeah, the mentor collaboration, model. Yep. Yeah. Learning, you know, it's, you know, entrepreneurship is something that you can learn. It's not something that's, you know, innate or inbred. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's something that uh, that you can learn and, and develop. So that takes us off course a little bit, but I'm but, really intrigued yeah. to know about um, the way the Accelerator program is set up because... In my small experience, having witnessed startups in group settings and collaborating, quite often I've noticed that startups will start off as a particular business solving a particular problem in a particular way, 
But once they get into that collaborative environment, it's amazing how many of them pivot or they they metamorphosize mm. a bit and they change for the better. Yeah. But through being able to feed off others in that group scenario. So tell me about how you know what can you expect as a startup coming to the Melbourne Accelerator program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you just going to get someone to help you take your business to where you already think it's going? Or should you be preparing yourself to be challenged, to reinvent, yeah. to really reset and look at it from a different perspective? Like, Yeah, definitely. I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there around, you know, challenging uh, thinking and yeah. um, really pushing people, testing. You know, it's all about, you know, you, when, when people start a business, they come up with a bunch of assumptions, you know. Yeah. They assume that the problem they're dealing with is, is even a problem. The mm-hmm. solution is even the right solution. They assume that customers want to buy it. They assume they want to buy it this much. They assume it's going to cost, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yep. And over the course of their business, they start validating those assumptions. Yep. And and you know, this is like classic sort of lean startups. I'm not saying anything new, but um, it's those businesses and startups that can validate their assumptions, you know, the quickest and the most effectively mm-hmm. that become that, that become the most successful. Yeah, and totally. if you and if you invalidate those assumptions or then um, it's about changing or pivoting, right? So yep. that's when that's you know, when you talk about how often startups change or pivot, it's actually the ones that don't change or pivot at all are the ones that'll fail. Yep. So be prepared for that. Be prepared yeah, definitely be prepared for that. Um, and you know, it's it's always startups and founders that focus on problems mm-hmm. as opposed to the solution, they're the ones who are going to be the most successful. You know, what is the customer's real problem? If you're yep. wed to a solution, then you're probably going to start forgetting about the customer. Yep. And that's probably like a big, a big, a big um, factor in the, the, the failure of PlayUp was um, not being focused on the problem, but being focused on these solutions that we didn't really validate through. Yep. The, sh- the shiny new products and solutions. Yeah, yeah gotcha. All right. So with that in mind, um, I'm just going to throw something at you. Yeah. In your opinion and your yeah. experience, what are the three pieces of advice that you wouldn't give a startup oh, that I when beginning their journey? <laughs> <laughs> so okay. you know, I ask people, well, what, what advice would you give? But knowing that you've probably received and given quite a bit of advice, yeah. What's what are the three pieces that you know just stand out to you as something that do not do or do not listen to? Don't take that advice. Yeah, actually, funnily enough, like one thing that I'm very loath to do with startups is actually give them any firm, hard advice on something <laughs> in the first place, right? Yep. Because each startup and each founder is so is so different, yep. right? So, and the only person who can make the best decision is the founder themselves because they have all these data points. Mm-hmm. And so, one sort of advice and one thing that I live by is really when you're talking to people, you're not you're not you're not trying to do exactly what they say. You're trying to collect data. Gotcha. Right? Okay. And so as founders, you collect as much data as possible and then you're in a position to make a decision based upon all that data. Okay, so, so don't knee-jerk react when someone gives you advice that might be divisive or abrasive or against what you think. Mm. Rather, challenge yourself to validate it mm-hmm. through collecting more data, doing more research, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what's something else? What's another piece of horrible advice you've heard that you'd say, oh. no, don't listen to that? <laughs> or is there a particular book or resource that you hear recommended a lot which you're like, oh, maybe don't go there first? No, like I think... I think what what you see people like a problem that you see people do time and time again is they once again it's going back to this not validating this properly is mm-hmm. you see people build stuff before 
they've validated it properly. Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, making sure um, making sure that they do as much research, understand their customer as much as possible before they go away and spend lots and lots of money on yep. on building whatever they whatever they need to build. And that's why why I love things that are based in research um, mm -hmm. because um, professors and researchers they do a lot of validation before they actually take a product to market. Okay, so 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 with that in mind, because the research element seems like such an important part, and something that I notice in my travels is people can get to a point where they understand that research is required heavily. Mm -hmm. But then the second part of it is, how do I do it effectively? Because mm -hmm. one of the first things that comes to mind when you've got a startup or a, a product or a service is, how do I get enough of my type of customer in the one place to then go and get effective um, answers and opinions on whether something's going to help them solve a problem? Mm. You know, Without it being a scenario where you're going to family and friends and you're saying, hey, do you think this would be a great solution for this industry and they're all like yeah that's great do yeah. it but how do you actually you know go through that process of researching properly and unbiased so that you can get enough data to go yep this is this is more of a value add than a really good painkiller problem solver yeah. you know I, I think i think i think you hit another head there as well again with talking about being unbiased like that's that's the problem that most people do is they they you know yeah they they come if you don't come from a research background you then you don't understand you know the the the, the challenges around collecting biased information. Yep. Um, and so, you know, often entrepreneurs and founders, they'll, you know, speak to family and friends and they'll, you know, they'll say, you know, nobody's ever told me that this is not a great idea. But, you know, how, yep. how often do you tell your friends, unless you're a sh not a very nice friend, um, how often do you tell them that, you know, their idea is no good? Was it you that said to me, or I've heard this before, but I'm pretty sure it was you that said, if you can't convince your nana... To pull out a credit card and and pay for your product or idea, then you've got a problem potentially. I, I, I may have said that. That's quite I, extreme, it's, but it's, yeah, for sure. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think it's you've got to be willing to hear bad mm -hmm. news from from and it customers. becomes and it becomes harder to take and harder to take on board when you've progressed so far with building something. Yeah. So if you've built that solution or you're well on your way and then you start receiving the advice that you need that's not ideal, yeah. I've seen it a lot with entrepreneurs and startups where they just they sort of don't want to hear it anymore because yeah. they've already overcommitted yeah. in a sense yeah. to building something. Yeah, and so you wanna so you wanna be getting all feedback and you wanna be open to all feedback because really bad feedback now is better than bad feedback later. Okay. So so obviously if you're part of a program like Melbourne Accelerator program, you'll be able to get access to that on tap regularly you know yeah. the right type of advice yeah, the right. but just to close that one off as a startup on my own I'm sitting here in front of Google and I'm like right how do I how do I get the right advice I need here to know this is good bad ugly um, like what's a quick not easy way but a way to do that without having to embark upon a massive exercise how can you sort of I mean there are lots of cool little hacks and one of them is like you know Coming up with a, a survey monkey and sending it out to your LinkedIn contacts, depending on depending on what what feedback, what research you're trying to get. Yep. Another one is you know you can quickly hack up some Facebook ads to mm -hmm. test certain markets to get to get yep. get certain feedback through yep, I that. Like that. Um, another one is yeah, survey monkey out to Facebook friends, but once mm -hmm. again, or, or, or wider Facebook community, posting into uh, into chat into like group chats around yep, certain topics, industry, yep. industries. And so there are all some really sort of 
to, uh, quick hacks to, to get yeah. feedback. The other one is like, you know, walking down to the local shopping center or park or, or street and stopping people and asking them on the street yep, um, totally. certain questions. Once again, you've got to learn how to do it unbiased and most effectively and you can Google that easy and find yeah. out how to do no, that. No, that's great. That's, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what's, in, what's important there is that it's a priority when you're starting out. You know, you really pri- prioritize your research and understanding if your idea is great. And the second thing there I, I think I'm taking from what you're saying is you've really got to have that bra- bravery and courage to not be afraid to start sharing your idea mm. and putting it out there into the yeah. ether. I mean, this, Get, is, yeah. this is one of the biggest problems that you face when dealing with other entrepreneurs is you know every second one comes and says, like, I don't want to tell you my idea. Yep. Um, well, I can speak to my experience. I had a startup and we, we became almost over-obsessed with um, secrecy because we were applying for a patent. Mm. And it was just, I quickly realized that no one really cares if they know about our well, idea or well, not. There's difference between IP, there's difference between an idea and IP, right? So yep. you don't tell people, if you're applying for a patent, you don't tell people mm-hmm. you're the, the, the IP that you're um, creating the, the patent for. Yep. Um, but... You know, I mean, ideas themselves are a dime a dozen. Yep. And the challenge is being able to to execute on those ideas. And so, um, I wouldn't be protective about the idea. Definitely be protective about your IP for sure. Yep. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. So, with that in mind, um, I've got another question for you that I'm, I know our audience would be dying to know, and that is, could you give me maybe top two or top three industries or areas? that in your, your opinion you would think would be amazing for people to try and unlock a startup or solve a problem. Like, let's say, for example, you had CNS Dose, mm-hmm. which obviously addresses mental health, which mm-hmm. is huge mm-hmm. at the moment. That also comes with the tag of feeling like government potentially would be really interested and keep a close eye on a business like that and want to fund. Yeah. But then you've also coupled with it the, um, the, the doctor angle and someone who's done a lot of research to validate it. But are there particular industries? Maybe it's education. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not manufacturing. Or maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe it's social media. I don't yeah. know. Well, but my, I mean, I'll give you three industries and they're all very biased. So um, obviously precision medicine and genetics. Um, yep. That's what CNS, obviously CNS doses from that industry. Still very early days. And yep. obviously, you know, my view is in the next five to ten years, um, it's going to be massive and we're only really scratching the surface as far as what's poss- what's going to be possible in mm-hmm. the industry. Um, you know, in 10 years' time, we'll all have our DNA mapped. It'll all be on the cloud and, and basically every medication um, drug that we take will be, you know, we'll be tested against, you know, what our DNA and what's going to be most effective for that. So, that's great. Um, that's so health, was, health, obviously, is a well, big health space. Well, is, health is broadly, obviously, and, and anything yep. in health and Fixing the problems within that health industry is massive. Yep, I know. It but specifically, cool. precision medicine. Yeah. Um, okay. Is 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 amazing. Um, and another one, drones. I'm, I'm on the advisory board of a of a of a drone company, Jar Aerospace. Wow. Um, which is doing amazing things. Um, they've got a couple of couple of businesses, a um, couple of aspects to their business. Um, mm-hmm. one, one is they have um, drone kits, uh, mm-hmm. which they. Um, sell, sell to which they have to sell to schools and which yep. enable kids to build and um, code and fly their own drones which is an amazing little product um, at the same time they've also they've also um, won a contract with the Department of Defense to help um, in build you know the next suite of um, drones for the Australian Army great 
Um, so, so my view is that drones are, you know, once again, in 10 years time, are going to be massive and they're going to, yep. they're going to be a big part of, you know, everyday life. Um, and so... They'll be delivering our Domino's pizza. Well, and potentially, our potentially. <laughs> um, definitely, definitely uh, delivering our, uh, our, our blood samples from from hospitals and labs for sure that's great no that's unreal um and, and my third one my third one yeah. is what do we do with all the rubbish that we that we have you know we throw out so much stuff um recycling our junk our plastics the rubbish in our oceans mm-hmm. now people who can solve that problem um are going to make a lot of money and going to make the world a much better place so i would say um, I'm not involved in any startups that are doing that, but keen to be involved in startups that are doing that. Yeah, unreal. Well, I've seen that Australian startup, I believe it is, that um, has the devices that sit submerged in water and um, rubbish actually. And they collect float. it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Love that. Love that. And they collect the, the device in the. Yeah. No, sorry, they collect the rubbish out of the ocean. Yeah. And then it'd be like, well, what do you. What do you what do you do with that rubbish? And there's a startup out of the Wade Institute who are mm-hmm. who are trying to trying to turn that that rubbish into other other products for us, like sunglasses. So that's Unreal. That's, that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, but yeah, any yeah any what do we what do we do with all that junk? And that's a big we problem to solve. So much junk, right? Yeah. Totally. All right. Cool. That's that's great. So um, yeah, look out for that. We'll put some more comments uh, in the post as well to reiterate that. So tell me, what's the key to having a successful startup team? So mm-hmm. Very rarely, and I'll, I'll say this just in my experience, you see an individual person that's got mm-hmm. a startup that's successful individually. I'm seeing a lot more now teams of two to three or maybe a team of a couple entrepreneurs, one mentor, but that's partly active in the business. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I'm sure you have different dynamics through Melbourne Accelerator Program. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> is there a question maybe an individual needs to ask themselves to answer whether they should be part of a team or remain on their own mm-hmm. when they're doing their startup? Oh, I mean, it's a good question. And once again, there's no one answer because everybody's mm-hmm. so different, but I think there's a, a few sort of principles that you'd follow. And mm-hmm. number one is, is doing a startup by yourself is very hard and mm-hmm. I would go so much to say is impossible. Yep. Um, so you might be a sole founder, but you've got to have an amazing team. Mm-hmm. Um, but even... Even you know, you you want a you want a core group of yep. founders, you know, two or three. Yep. Um, and I think it's a, a couple things that I would mention. It's about being, it's about being equally passionate about what you're doing, yep. and equally and equally hardworking. Yep. So if one person is more passionate or more hardworking, I think it creates sort of a degree of tension mm-hmm. um, within that um, partnership. The other thing is about having complementary, not the same, but complementary skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously it depends on the startup that you're working, but you know, like say for example, if it's something that requires sort of deep deep domain academic experience, it's about mm-hmm. taking an academic and pairing them up with um, somebody with great business sales experience, for example. Yep. Um, somebody who's great engineer or coder, once again, bring them together with somebody with um, business experience. Now, I- I, I, I hear you. I think that's a great point. I haven't seen a resource or a directory or a destination where you can actually source out people who might want to join you on your journey. Mm. But um, do you do a bit of pairing up or a bit of matchmaking or a bit of connecting once you're in the program here? Like have you seen startups come through that have begun on their own but have actually morphed into a team of two or three or you've been able to connect them with people in and around the network of MAP 
that might want to get involved? Yeah, I'd say like just because of the nature of startups that come through MAP. I yeah. mean, the, our, our main accelerator program, they're a bit later stage. And okay. so, so... Is that the Velocity No, program? so the Velocity is our part-time accelerator, our earlier stage. So gotcha. it is more likely to happen in that program where they're still kind of working out their team, yep. still trying to fill in team gaps. But even in our main accelerator, we have seen teams that have, you know, halfway through and have joined together. Yeah. You know, because they realise they're, you know, they can, they, if great. they work together, they can fix the problem they're trying to address, address better and yeah. and, and, and easier. Um, and yes, people come through and, and often they're building their team, right? So mm-hmm. they're looking for people they have just raised money and they're looking for people and skill sets to mm-hmm. bring in. So it is, whether it's as a co-founder or whether it's just employing, you know, your first sort of team members, yep. it is always a... A key issue and you know your biggest your biggest asset and at the same time your biggest risk is the people that you the people that you bring in you yeah know? Totally. it'll it'll largely depend on the success or failure of your of your startup is the is the founding team mm-hmm. and also your, your first employees okay excellent all right so i hope i'm asking the right question here but i i want to get this right is it how long should a startup give themselves to get traction to validate their business and to grow, and I, I guess things that contribute to that are you know, how much should you raise, mm-hmm. what kind of commitment to, should you make to yourself or to to the startup or to your co-founders, but that all probably gives us a good average amount of time that, in your experience, you've seen, you know, a startup should go into the process thinking I'm going to at least need to give myself this amount of time, mm. treat it seriously, work on it full time, to be able to see it through to a point where I can actually say to myself. I've done what's required to understand if this is going to work. Yeah, it's an interesting question because um, on one point, you don't want to... I, I, I think it can be damaging to say, I'm going to give myself one year or three years because it's like you're in, you're already on a failure mindset, right? Yep. Potentially. Yep. But at the same time, you want to be constantly yep. asking yourself that question, constantly validating everything that you're doing to yep. make sure you are on the right path mm-hmm. and be willing to go, well, I'm not on the right path. Well, do I get out? Or do I pivot, or or do I? So you got to be so so you got to be at the same time being like I'm never going to give up on this, mm-hmm. so, and at the same time saying, well, am I doing the best thing I can do, making the best decisions for mm-hmm. my startup? And that comes through to that sort of like that assumption validation. You want to constantly constantly be having these traction constantly be getting degrees of traction all the way through yep. to be reminding yourself that mm-hmm. you're. On the right path. So, so like with Map, you could set a mile. You'd be setting milestones with startups for totally. thing, mini yeah. achievements that need to at least be addressed. Yeah, for sure. So we have a milestone what they want to what they want to achieve by their time in Map. Yep. Um, and then you know regularly be checking in on them throughout that process. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure they're hitting that miles hitting those milestones. If they're not, how do they do it? Pivoting, mm-hmm. changing. Um, yeah. All that kind of stuff. All right, great. Well, yeah. um, I guess it doesn't answer the question around how long, but how, I don't think I don't think it's yeah. I don't think, it's dangerous I don't think you to say. say how, I don't think you want to say how long, and 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 how long will vary, right? Because let's let's say let's say you're a, a researcher, it's like ten years to market. But yeah. let's say if you're if you if it's something really quick, you might say, look, I'm gonna if we don't do if we don't hit this traction in six months, then it's probably not a goer. Okay. Um, so, but but most importantly is that um, if you're part time on your startup. I would feel that no amount of time, extra time that you give yourself to achieve is going to work because 
I feel like, and I know it's an ideal scenario, but you need to be full-time on it. And yeah. a, lot, a lot can be achieved in six months full-time compared to 18 months part-time. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean it's a question of, of risk, but definitely I've always been one to sort of um, have an appetite for risk and to jump into a startup mm-hmm. full-time before there's any like, before I've raised money and before yep. there's any like assurance of, yep. um, of being comfortable financially. Mm-hmm. Um, but that element of being able to pay yourself to a degree um, is important, would you say, mentally for a startup to understand that it's okay to want to name a figure and try and raise funds to be able to uh, fund your startup but also to be able to uh, pay yourself you know, in some manner so yeah. that you can sustain yourself, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure necessarily how I feel about people only jumping into their startup full-time when they've got money. I understand people oh, are in yeah, that situation. Definitely. So there's that because tipping point, isn't as there? As an entrepreneur, like that's the risk you take. That's what you bring. Mm-hmm. What's part of what you bring mm-hmm. to the startup is that you're the one taking the risk. And so yep. if so, that means you actually have to take a risk. If you just jump from, you know, a, a job that pays you six figures into, an, into another job, into another startup that pays you six figures... Then it's not you're not taking much of a risk. Yep. Um, okay. I hear. You. Yep. All right. No, that's fair enough. Um, people need to think about that, I guess, yeah. when they're starting this journey. I mean, everyone's um, different, and it's not. There's no one answer once again, but yeah, totally. All right. So, what's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome in your career or in your startup journey? Mm-hmm. And also, what's the biggest achievement or highlight? And it may be something that we're you you or I are not expecting, or the audience mm. wouldn't think, but. Um, maybe go with the first one for you know, the challenge. So what was the biggest, uh, it could have been I, something, you know, along I, the journey. For, for yeah. me, I think the challenges that come the most are always internal challenges, right? Yep. So um, feeling like you belong, feeling like... Mm-hmm. Um, you know what you're talking about. You know what you're talking about. Um, willing to take risks, willing to get out of your comfort zone and and call people and speak to people that you that you know you should speak to, that you want to speak to, mm-hmm. um, but for some reason there's a there's a blockage there. Doing tasks now, staying up late, working really hard. Mm-hmm. So these are all sort of like um, internal challenges primarily. Yep. Um, and I think if you can overcome them, then then you're on a, a, a much um, better path to success. And you can, we're constantly, constantly overcoming them, you know, constantly feeling like an imposter in in any sort of situation that you're in or startup that you're in or role that you have. So the benefit of being part of an ecosystem like MAP, I would assume, is that support that you can draw upon and you can leverage to uh, help yourself through those times. Yeah, definitely. Because you've got people next to you experiencing similar things. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what's as the far biggest as, and yeah. I, So if I go back to the, you know, what's the what's the biggest challenge also, I would say, and, and, and achievement, so I'll, I'll put these two together. Yep. And that was, you know, challenge about commercialising a medtech startup from Melbourne or Geelong, Australia, mm-hmm. um, through the Melbourne Acceler program into the US, Yep. Um, which isn't a common thing that's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a massive challenge. I mean, if you think of the, the US healthcare system, you know, and trying to navigate that and understand it. Totally. It's, it's you know. And that business it, is in America now. It's in America, doses, yeah. it's available in hospital systems. We're in yep. um, uh, big partnerships, big hospital systems. So it's, you know, I, once again, I'm, I always find it difficult calling it a success, but it's been very successful. Well, when, when you introduced it to the American market, you mentioned there that that's a big thing to get your head around and quite daunting. But give us an understanding of when you shot for the stars and you went for that top level, 
what was it actually like? How was how were yeah. you actually received? It's it's amazing the contrast between how we received here in in Geelong and Melbourne and how we received into the US. It was totally different in the fact that a lot of people didn't quite understand what we were doing here, mm-hmm. didn't quite understand our model, and maybe because our model didn't quite fit with the the US the, the Australian um, system mm-hmm. as as well as it did to the US. But we went to the US first because of the little bit of pushback that we got in Australia. And we were received incredibly well. Like mm-hmm. every every healthcare system that we would want to talk to spoke to us and listened to us and, wow. and engaged with us. And it didn't take us long to find, um, you know, our first customer. Um, and we and it essentially, you know, in many ways treated like rock stars when we went to the US and then we came back to Melbourne and Geelong and people didn't quite get what we were doing. No, um, no, you try and tell your friends, and they'd be like, "Oh, that's great to cool. hear." Yeah, yep. did, you, did you did you go to the baseball while you were there? I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, like we did, but it wasn't the best thing that we did." Did <laughs> <laughs> you go down Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> next time? Um, all right. So, who is your inspiration, or someone in this you know entrepreneurial space, maybe that you look up to and you really admire? It might be someone that we all know in the community, or it yeah, could be someone like a little I, bit more. Yeah, I really look up to people that. Um, you know, less so the Steve Jobs and the Elon Musks because okay. I think they're too far away and too distant. But yep. I think, you know, um, people like, you know, Nick Stanley, yep. um, who's, you know, from Geelong, been successful in Geelong with... Yep. Um, build a startup, build a, sold build a start-up, it. Build a startup, sold it. And now giving jo- back. Yeah, and now yep. giving back, you know, chairman of chairman of Runway and doing other startups. Um, our entrepreneur in residence here, um, Joe Hanna, uh-huh. Um, similar thing. He's built startups and listed them and been, mm-hmm. you know, been successful. And not not the the loftiness success of an Elon Musk, but but definitely is a clear aspirational for all the entrepreneurs who are who are out who are out there um, doing it. And it's and yep. it's a, you can see the clear pathway which they've taken. Yep. And also the fact that they they give so much back to the community and help other startups, you know, go on the pathway which they're going on as well, which is really amazing too yep totally unreal well it's been great Campbell I might give you this opportunity if you wouldn't mind just to share with everyone anything else you'd like to talk about with regards to MAP Melbourne Accelerator Program um, I mean it's exciting time you've, you've come on board and lots happened just in the short amount of time you've been here and we've actually had a chance to have a bit of a tour and walk mm. through today and it's amazing operation but what else can people know about MAP and why should they get involved and how can they get involved mm. So, yeah, MAP is, um, it's really an amazing uh, program and has an amazing ecosystem around it. Mm-hmm. You know, we started six years ago um, as the, you know, the second accelerator program, the first university accelerator program in Australia. Mm-hmm. And the whole ecosystem has grown mm-hmm. since then. And it's been amazing to see and amazing to see where, where MAP is now. And since then, we've had 100 startups come through our programs. Yep. We've raised over 100, so over $70 million, over right. $100 million of revenue. Um, a thousand people have been employed by our startups that have come through our programs wow. um, together. So so that success and seeing seeing that success and, and being able to grow and, and increase on those numbers um, is really about other amazing entrepreneurs and founders getting involved. And we are creating an amazing ecosystem, whether whether you're connected with the University of Melbourne or not, um, we're creating an amazing ecosystem for founders and entrepreneurs to learn and grow 
um, mm-hmm. with our things like our master classes, our demo day coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, definitely just get involved, come and speak to us. Yep. Um, and yeah, we'd love to see everyone. All right. And I'm real. Well, Campbell Walsh, Director of Melbourne Accelerator Program, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the program and uh, we can't wait to share more with you about Campbell and his journey very soon. Excellent. Thank you. And thanks for joining us for another amazing episode on the Enterprise Monkey Show with Brandon Burns. Until next week, guys, we hope you've enjoyed and if you want to get in touch, you can visit us on social media, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can reach out to us with some of your amazing content ideas or perhaps a special guest, may even be yourself that wishes to appear on the show. You can reach out to us at office at enterprisemonkey.com.au. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes Store, Spotify, and Stitcher, and we'll see you all on the next episode.